What's up, fellow humans? This is your host, Gabriel Marrero, and welcome to Collapse Talk. This is the first episode, or pilot episode, if you'd like to call it, and honestly, I have no clue what I'm doing. But this is going to be exciting because this show or program has been coming for a long time. I've been planning around, thinking about it, and honestly, this show is going to be more of a commentary on global issues, just what's happening in the world. So it's not as though you should take my word as gospel, but I definitely want to take into context or put into context exactly what is happening into the world and what it means, the consequences. Uh, so first, we'll just begin uh, a little more about myself, not too much personally. I guess through this show, y'all will learn more about me. Those who do know me personally, this just goes without saying, but again, this is just a little recap. I am a student. I go to Hunt I live in Huntsville. I'm a student in Sam Houston University, so uh, apart from work and school, this program may not be as consistent as I'd like, but I'm going to try to release it as frequently as I can uh, because I definitely feel that what's happening right now and what we'll be discussing is going to be very topical and quite exciting, to say the least. Yeah, so again, a little more about me. I'm somebody who's who worries a lot. I guess you could say a lot of people tell me I worry a lot that I should just live in the moment. I'm not usually that type of guy. Uh, although I do understand their viewpoint from it. It's just that I can't ignore or overlook what exactly is happening. Well, what is happening? Some people don't really know because uh, it's just the scale and the, the ability to comprehend it is just not there for some folks. Um, but again, it, this show is just going to highlight what exactly is happening so this summer 2019 um, i'm recording this august 30th 2019 uh this summer has been definitely one for the history books and it's just really shining a light on exactly our the conditions and the situation that are that we are living in uh doesn't look pretty to say the least although you don't need me to say that that's just Anybody who is paying attention can see it. Uh, part of the reason why a lot of people don't know exactly what's happening is because I, I hear consistently, the news is too depressing. Well, that's just sorry. I'm sorry to hear that, uh, to tell you that the world uh, is shit. <laughs> it's a flaming pile of shit right now, and it looks like it's just going to get shittier and hotter. And I, and I mean that literally and figuratively. But don't take my pessimism... Uh, because I, I definitely want to change my outlook. It's just that what, what I see, I can't ignore it. And yeah, so we'll just jump right in. Uh, firstly, one main issue that I believe is... Ha it, okay, so the Iran crisis. It, that, this summer, could have easily exploded into a real war, a real military conflict. Yeah, we were that close to it, although a lot of people don't really understand how close we were. Um, so let's just run down the whole situation because this really is a situation in um, in the Middle East that has been brewing for some time since the late 70s, the Iranian Revolution. Well, not even that. Some say uh, since the oust of uh, Mohammad Mosaddegh, uh, the democratically elected Iranian president who was overthrown in a coup 
backed by the CIA, where they installed the Shah. So again, this has been building up for some time. Uh, so in particular, this oil tanker crisis, we saw several attacks against oil tankers in the Strait of Hormuz. The Strait of Hormuz, which is uh, located near the Arabian Sea and the Gulf of Oman, they are a very uh, important. It's a very important choke point, and it, tr it quite truly is a choke point because most of the world's oil supply passes through here. Uh, at least some. Oh, I can't give a percentage, but ha it has been described as the juggler of the global economy, knowing that oil is the number one commodity in our global economy. Uh, yeah, so during the summer, there had been attacks. There had been, some say, torpedoes or missiles. It, it's really muddy, the details, because uh, it, it's, it, it's really one of those situations where there's subterfuge and black ops. So the story that's being told most likely isn't the truth and most likely has some subversive uh, factions or uh, state agencies that are trying to uh, bring about a conflict, a regional conflict that they assume would you know, be for the benefit of well, whoever. Because again, all wars are gonna benefit the top. Somebody's gonna make money off of it. So with this Iranian crisis, well, at the moment is isn't as hot as it was before, but it's definitely something that is concerning. Um, there was a case where two uh, tankers had exploded, and it was a Japanese ship. It was a Japanese tanker, and it was quite odd. It was like uh, all over the news. The U.S. was, you know, practically saying this is an act of war. You know, mobilizing their own forces. But it was quite strange because the Japanese were saying, oh, hold on, we'll look at the facts first. Because as that happened, there was already a delegation in Japan. So it's quite odd that supposedly the Iranians who did this would launch an attack against a Japanese uh, freighter right as one of their dignitaries was in Japan. It's quite odd. But again, I'm not here to um, spread any conspiracy theories, although I, I essentially just doing that right now. It's just that there's there's clearly a push, uh, not to say the West, certainly within the United States with this administration and other forces in NATO, that they, they've been drooling over a conflict in Iran. They're just salivating over it for whatever reason, because a war in Iran would be complete destruction. Um, it, it would just be a disaster, and yet... They, they want it. They, they, they want it. It, it mainly because of the oil. It's always been about the oil. At this point, if anybody denies that, they're just they're living in a whole another world because it's quite obvious why they want it. And yet it's just, oh, it's about the regime change and democracy for the Iranians or the Persians. They, they don't care about democracy. They don't care about democracy here. What makes you think they care about democracy halfway around the world? It, it speaks volumes about the uh, resources that we're willing to put into a country that isn't actively attempting to attack us at the very least and yet at the same time we can't offer aid to a colony of ours or territory as they say in puerto rico right across the ocean it, that, yeah so that speaks about the situation that we're 
in right now. So this Iranian oil uh, tanker crisis, these attacks, they've been occurring for some time. Uh, as we've seen, uh, the United States under Trump has backed out of the Iranian nuclear deal, uh, which was just foolish in general because the Iranians were complying with the uh, parameters that were outlined. The, the International Atomic Agency said they are following by these guidelines that y'all have set out, set out. But of course, as we are in this situation now, we have backed out of the uh, nuclear deal. So yeah, this situation could go either way, really. Uh, there was a case uh, earlier this summer where we had almost launched an attack, uh, almost went to war with Iran, literally minutes uh, got caught off within minutes. And again, most people don't really know that. It just kind of flew over their heads, you know, it just, yeah. So that that's the situation that we're in right now. That, that's how quickly it could devolve into chaos. Just one, one little, you know, order from the president and there you have it. You know, I'm not saying, I'm not to say that it would be nuclear war immediately, but it would certainly accelerate the potential for a global conflict. Yeah. So with that being said, the Iranian oil tanker crisis is a focal point right now, or at the least it was a big story in the summer. So who knows where that will go? Uh, yeah. So the thing with this show is I'll be talking about something and it could literally change by the time I put it up. So, Again, I'm just talking from what I understand and from what I've read and heard, and I'm just here to put it into context, at least, you know, this is more of a commentary show, uh, put into context into how, what, ram ram what, excuse me, what ramifications this, it would have for us and for the world. So, yeah, so we will continue on to our next subject, which is the Hong Kong protests. That's another big story that I've been focusing on for some time. Uh, Hong Kong, of course, um, is a special uh, area, a special city-state. It's supposed to be a territory of China, but they have special rules. They have some. They have their own judicial system. They're their own city. It's their own state. It would be as though. Well, I can't really bring a comparison. Yeah, okay. So it would be as though New Orleans was its own society. It was just, just you went to New Orleans and it was just, well, that's, New Orleans is not really a, an apt comparison. But what I mean to say is this: the city itself has a sense of independence from mainland China. And mainland China, of course, is heavily communist uh, under the, the boots of the Communist Party and it's just a repressive regime. Uh, not not a place that you'd want to be be in. Not not somewhere where you want to visit. I certainly don't want to go in China right now. And with Hong Kong, they are fighting for their independence. They're fighting for their lives. So in Hong Kong, what essentially had happened was uh, lawmakers in uh, the Hong Kong chamber legislature they had passed a bill that would allow. China, the courts in China to issue warrants of extradition for perceived fugitives in Hong Kong. You know, a lot of people go to Hong Kong because they know that they can't get extradited. So 
uh, now China wants to start extraditing what they say, what they see, who they see as criminals and convicts. Uh, yeah, so that's not really something that the people of Hong Kong want, because that's just the first step towards assimilation or uh, whatever or annexation. Yes, it, and that, that's not what they want. They, they don't want to be part of China. They want to see themselves as Hong Kong. And right now it's just evolving into chaos. Um, just last weekend, the first live shots were fired, not at protesters or targeting protesters, I should say, but it was certainly within their area and certainly meant to um, disperse any potential threats to police. Yeah, so when you're watching this, when you're watching these protesters clash with these policemen, it's the closest you're ever going to get to seeing a medieval battle, apart from, you know, slicing and dicing each other. It Because you're, you're seeing just people breaking each other over the heads with batons and two-by-fours, and then they're making these shields from umbrellas and uh, from boards, street signs. It's crazy. It really is crazy. And it doesn't seem to be getting any better. It doesn't seem to be something because both sides are determined to win. And both sides are not backing down. The police are not backing down. The Chinese government is not backing down. And these protesters are not going to back down either. They're going to fight. They're going to fight to the death. And it's a situation that can get ugly very quickly. Of course, people are bringing up Tiananmen Square. Not that the Chinese even remember what that what that was but a lot of people are drawing comparisons about that and with Hong Kong it will be worse because with Tiananmen Square it was just I mean of course the city of Beijing was uh, under uh, occupation uh, with Hong Kong however this is truly an international crisis this is truly something that is well ha gonna have some effect on the global economy um, but also it's just an image thing because now China is asserting its dominance outside of well they don't see it as outside of their borders but for other countries such as the philippines such as taiwan which china uh has declared as part of them that china views taiwan as a rebel state so of course they're going to definitely assert their dominance over china in the coming future that's something i'm going to pay attention to um so Again, you know, China has been doing all these. I keep talking about China. I, again, I want I want to be clear. My criticisms of China are not against the people or the culture. I don't know anything about the people or culture, so I can't speak on that. But my criticisms uh, purely come from the, the Communist Party and the system that it has created, which is a totalitarian government, uh, essentially an evil empire. Just the, the stories you hear about China are just the you would think they're science fiction, but they're not. Organ harvesting of prisoners and uh, genocide of uh, Muslim population. Yeah, it's just unbelievable what you hear about China these days. And it, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's daunting, really is. Um, but I spoke on uh, a little bit on the Hong Kong protests. That's something that's going to continue to change and evolve uh, this weekend we might hear some more stories so yeah we're just you know holding ourselves at the edge of the seat uh, so I'll continue with 
China again. Uh, China is going to be a big part of this program, I, I'd assume. Uh, China and Russia and the United States. Those are the big three players right now in the world. Again, with China, there have been reports of not... They, they've call it, they're calling it a genocide, although it's not like a Holocaust genocide. But they are disappearing. So, so in this region, I can't remember the specific region. I believe it's called Xian, Xianxian. Yeah, so these people, they're called Uyghurs or Uyghurs. They are um, mainly um, a Turkic ethnic group. So they're not really uh, seen as Chinese, which is, you know, quite sad because they live in China and, you know, they, they're, they're just there. Uh, they're Muslim major majority um, and they live in the Xinjiang uh, region. And there have been reports recently of genocide or at least a disappearance of um, children, of, you know, young people, forced sterilizations, uh, re-education, just uh, story after story of essentially what is um, a cultural genocide. And these people are being stripped of their identity and being told to become Chinese. And if they don't conform to it, then, well, then they're just going to be taken out of the gene pool. So, I mean, the genocide is described it is exactly that. So these people in China, they're facing extermination. They're, they're being uh, called out. Again, we don't really know the extent of the program. So there may very well be killings or executions, mass murders. Uh, we do know that there are concentration camps, you know, thousands, maybe millions in concentration camps. So it it's a distressing situation and uh, nobody's doing anything about it. You know, I don't even see anything on Facebook about the Uyghurs, the Uyghurs. I'm sorry if I cannot pronounce that, but I, I don't see it as much. You know, I've heard some stories on Vine, uh, but yeah, it's just, or not Vine, Vice, <laughs> Vice. And what, what is happening is, yeah, you would think, oh, never again, we'll never allow this again. Well, being that it's China, there's not much we can do. Well, we could do something, excuse me, we could do something, but we won't because our leaders are weak. And they definitely don't want to anger this economic tiger that is China, basically. Yeah. So with China, there's more distressing signs that we may or not may not be heading towards conflict, not direct conflict, but just it. It doesn't look promising. It doesn't look as though we're heading towards a peaceful compromise or, you know, somewhere where we could work together. It just seems that, that we're continuing to butt heads. So we are, as we know, we're in this trade war, the United States and China, and it's just pointless. It really is. It's just a, a silly situation for us to be in because it's quite obvious that if we put tariffs on Chinese products, they're going to cost more for us. So everybody loses. So why, why are we in this? This is purely for pride. And pride goes before the fall. 
But again, people would rather burn the world and admit that they're willing to that they need to work together. Or yeah, it's just so with this trade war, what is happening is farmers in the Midwest aren't selling as many crops as they used to, aren't selling as much soybean, uh, as much corn. That because China was their biggest you know customer, and now with this trade war, they're starting to lose business. Uh, a lot of these farms are being subsidized, so who knows how long that money will last for them. And also about these farmers is they they have been experiencing record uh, record rain flooding from the Mississippi and record heat, so that's just killing the crops. So it's just a whole slew of economic uh, troubles. Um, uncertainty uh, and climate change well climate change is always going to be a factor in this so the fact that they can't grow as much as they used to and already their customers are not buying from them it's just a two two-way I, I don't even know what to, to describe that it's just they're just getting slammed and these people they're they're living in fear of course so of course they're going to turn to somebody they don't fully understand and that person is going to take advantage of them. And that person who takes advantage of them is going to point them somewhere else to divert their anger. So it's just, it all comes back. This is a very heavily connected world. You know, what, what happens in China is going to affect some farmer in Iowa or Idaho. It's, it, and it's just, it's pointless, really, this trade war. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to speak as though I know what's happening. Um, again, with this trade war, there was also a case where Trump had announced a tariff hike and then the stock market, I guess I had experienced some, some wobbles, uh, some points, almost hundreds of points drop and then he delayed it. So it, it's really like, it's not like something that we're confident in, even not, not even the president is confident in this trade war. So it's just, it, it's really just boggles the mind how what, what what situation we're in like i don't like the word us i don't like the word war associated with china like i the fact that we're in a trade war with china is just no no thank you because that that you don't know where that can lead you really don't know so i'll, I'll stop talking about china for for now because i sound like trump now but i'll divert towards something a little more domestic uh, living in the United States uh, has been, well, this summer has been one that has kind of woken up or sh shook the people at least. Uh, and, I, and I'm speaking specifically about uh, the El Paso shooting in Texas. For some reason, because we've had all these mass shootings all the time, they're just a thing now. This one, however, is different. This one is a terrorist attack. You know, you have mass shootings at schools or concerts. Okay. That may, you know, of course, the guy just had easy access to the gun and just started unloading. But what, um, what should be noted is that in this El Paso attack, the, the attacker posted a manifesto. He had stated that the reason he was doing this attack was because he believed that the, the United States or Texas 
was being invaded by Hispanics. And so that's why he, he drove specifically from Dallas to El Paso. And if you don't live in Texas, that's a long ass drive. So that that's a almost eight hour drive. So this guy was determined and he posted it just as he would like within an hour of the attack. So he posted it on HAN, this long ass manifesto. And went in the store, killed 22 people, and he didn't even kill himself. He's not even a martyr. He just turned himself in. So it's just, uh, he, I mean, he's a terrorist because he, he clearly had a political motive. He, he stated why he did it. And he's a trend, and he's, that the whole manifesto, the point of that manifesto was, it was a call to arms. It was a calling out to others who felt the same way, join my fight, uh, die if you have to, we have to protect ourselves and our country, our people. It really is, uh, uh, yeah, these guys, these white supremacists, they're, they're truly, they're, they're here, they're planning, they are waiting, they, they want the right conditions. If Charlottesville didn't show to anybody what these guys are capable of, then I don't exactly know what, what to say, because they were, they were willing to go out in the streets and cludgeon people over the heads because they think it could get, they could get away with it. And that's just the beginning. I mean, since Charlottesville's, we've had so many uh, confrontations with right wing, I don't want to say gangs, just groups. I mean, there's the Proud Boys and other groups that try to meet up and, you know, cause a ruckus. And then there's Antifa. Again, you could call them a gang. They're they're a group. They're a political or not not political group. Because they're they're not even official. It's not like they, they have a meeting or they're I, I don't know. It's just Antifa and these political okay. From now on we will call them political gangs, both groups, because that's really what they are, because they're not fully organized just yet. But there are a bunch of guys just getting together and trying to hurt each other. I don't know. That's not something that I relate with. You know, trying to get into the street and start a fight. No, I can't do that. I mean, I'm a big guy, but I can't do that. Um, so what, why am I bringing this up, These, this issue of political gangs? Because it's really a distressing sign. I mean, this, these, this, this isn't new. These political groups aren't new for the United States. Um, of course, you know, we've had them in the 70s and 60s. So the fact that they're back, that we have these groups again uh, fighting each other in the streets uh, should really be a wake-up call for a lot of people. Uh, what exactly uh, the, the environment and the conditions are being set for us. So we... Uh, we, we are under threat of white supremacist terrorists and they're being enabled by the people in power. Whether you like to like it or not, the GOP is enabling white supremacist terrorism. And trust me, they will use them. And I can point to a specific example in Portland. Uh, in Portland, there was a climate bill that was being ready to pass. And of course, in Portland, it's a heavily liberal, heavily, heavily left-winged area. So, of course, the Democrats had the majority. 
So the Republicans that were there, they understood that they couldn't win. So they just decided they just decided not to, to show up, just to opt out and go into hiding. Um, if you're a you know, legislator and you miss the session, you, you will be um, retrieved by the law enforcement. Uh, but these Republican uh, Republicans, they decided to hide. And essentially what they had done was called out to had a call, made a call to arms for uh, militiamen. And those militiamen acted as bodyguards. And they met up and they essentially were there to protect these GOP legislators, these Republicans acting as their bodyguards. So what you're already seeing now is paramilitary forces siding with you know, elected officials, or I should say elected officials enabling paramilitary forces. And that's something you only see in like the Philippines or, you know, some third world country. And it's here. It's already here. Uh, it got to a point where they had to declare a state of emergency or a state of unrest in Portland because these groups, these right wing groups and these left wing groups were fighting in the street. They were just fighting. Uh, that's where you heard the Andy Ngo. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Andy Ngo. Uh, he got attacked by uh, Antifa. So that, that was a big controversy there. That, again, that was another story, the Portland unrest and the protests there that kind of just flew over people's heads. Again, so much is happening that it's just flying and flying and flying. I, again, some stuff flies over my head, so I'll definitely miss something that will be much more important than what I'm already speaking about. So, again, uh, the Portland unrest and the El Paso attacks, they are signs of domestic terrorism, or at least the the, the, the beginnings of it, because they're here. They've, they're already like training, uh, they're already planning, and they're waiting. And I'm not saying this to scare y'all, I'm just saying this because it's the truth. They're waiting. And they will definitely act when they think the time is right, when the conditions are right. Um, so it's quite, it's quite, terrifying i mean the fact that i'm living in fear of this just speaks to uh, about th that these guys are terrorists because i know that i'm a target if i'm walking in the street and some shit goes down yeah i'm definitely going to be targeted so that's um with domestically that's an issue that we'll dive in deeper with these coming episodes now, with this being the first episode, I'm just talking about general issues, and as we go on, I'll be more specific and in diving into it. So we'll continue more, uh, just on uh, just talking domestically from global uh, civil unrest. Now we'll go into global unrest, because over there, um, just all around the world, you know, we have just spoken about the Iran uh, oil tanker crisis, and then we have talked about the protests in Hong Kong. Uh, not to mention we have uh, the situation in Venezuela, just complete anarchy there. Uh, I've read some stories about protests uh, in Central America. We have the Brexit uh, deal or no deal, whatever's going to happen. I mean, there are already talks of evacuating the Queen of England and instituting martial law if it gets that bad, if the unrest gets out of control. I mean... Britain could could really 
fall apart, or I should say the UK. The UK could really come apart at the seam because of this uh, uh, issue. And the whole and the whole Brexit thing. I'm not British, and a lot of people in England and Britain they 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 definitely support it, uh, but they don't seem to understand the economic implications of it. I was told by a friend that Brexit had uh, a far greater effect for world stability than the president, uh, the election of President Trump. And that's true. Because now what you're seeing is the first pillar of what essentially has guaranteed peace in Europe. Peace in Western Europe, I should say. That pillar, that pillar just, that pillar just got knocked down. And then the foundation is still strong. Uh, it isn't strong as it was before, but it's still there. So I'm not entirely worried about the union right now, the European Union. Um, I am concerned more about just general local elections like France and, and Germany, Italy. There's been a string of far right movements there, or at least you know candidates and demonstrations there. They've been on the rise there, especially in Poland. Uh, Poland has definitely swung more to the right. Uh, again, what we're seeing now is you have all these right, excuse me, right wing, uh, populist, populist uprisings, demonstrations. It's quite, it's quite fascinating the fact that you see these fluctuations in the spectrums, the political spectrums, because not too long ago these uprisings were all on the left, and now they're on the right. And why is that? Well, it's the economic situation. People aren't making enough jobs or, or money. Uh, you know, globalization has devastated the middle class. And it, it's just people people are fed up. People are just, they're, they're angry. They're rising up and they want answers. And the people that they're demanding answers from, they, they're not going to tell them the truth. Because the truth is, is that the, the politician has been fucking them over this whole time. So of course they're not going to tell them the truth. They're going to point them to somewhere else. The gays or the, the illegals. Just anybody to distract, any divide and conquer. And that's that strategy is as old as civilization, maybe even older. So it's it's directly reflected reflecting 1930s you know, the, the global scene that is directly reflecting the 1930s, although we haven't had an economic collapse just yet, although it's ramping up. So, yeah, who knows? Yeah, there's just a general sense of uh, anticipation, if you want to call it, because I definitely speak with some people and they kind of know that something is coming. They don't know what. But they know something is coming, so it's not exactly, you know, a healthy mindset to have. Although it's just there, you know. If you're if you're not paying, if you're you know doing your research, you can see what what patterns and where exactly they might head. Um, another very important issue uh, that could have huge implications for the planet is Kashmir. Uh, Kashmir a couple of weeks ago has been the subject of global attention. Well, it always has been. It's always been a tense area between India and Pakistan. Uh, but now it's reading a new flashpoint. 
uh, right now India has occupied certain areas and what they have done is strip the special status of the region. So the, the Kashmir region was designated as its so as an autonomous zone. So at the very least, Pakistan could be at ease and know that India isn't there. Or it is, but it's not. It's a strange situation. But now India is asserting its claim in the area. And they've stripped the special status of Kashmir. And they've sent troops in there to occupy it. And it's starting to ramp up because India and Pakistan is not like the U.S. and America where they're, it's a nuclear power. Oh, yeah. Just so you know, Pakistan and India are nuclear powers. Okay. Just if you didn't know that, now you do. So it's not like the confrontations between the United States and America where, you know, there's mutually assured destruction. So each side knows what is, you know. It, not even without the nukes. There just hasn't been a direct conflict between the United States and Russia. You know, maybe in um, there was a case there was a U.S. coalition that intervened during the Russian civil war. Uh, but again, that that wasn't that's not you wouldn't really perceive that as a, a conflict, a direct conflict. But with India and Pakistan, they've had wars. They have been at war with each other several times. I mean, they've only been independent for the last 60, 50 years. So they've been fighting a lot since that time. So they really don't like each other. And this Kashmir crisis, and we are going to call it a crisis, is just another... Uh, the, the reason why I'm so worried about the Kashmir crisis is because, and this is something that past presidents have said before, that... The Kashmir and the relationship between India and Pakistan is the one thing that keeps them up at night. So the reason I'm so, you know, I'm not, I shouldn't say be afraid or scared. It's just the reason I'm so attentive on it is because it's projected that a small nuclear exchange, and I say small, you know, in the in terms of nuclear exchanges, which is catastrophic. This is small. Um, a, a small nuclear exchange between India and Pakistan would be enough to disrupt the temperature of the planet, block out the sun, affect crop yields, just every, just devastating, devastating. And that's just from India and Pakistan. So it really begs the question, do we really need nukes? Or do these people really need nukes? Like, should we, should we do something? But they won't say anything. I mean, you know, they, they won't do anything about it. They'll say, well, why don't you get rid of yours? Oh, well, no. <laughs> like everybody talks about denuclearization until they're asked to get rid of their nukes. And then it's just like, uh, I still need these. Uh, yeah. That's something to keep up on. It's not something that I, I try to think too much on. But again, it's there. It's happening. Uh, there's been uh, reports of disappearances. The Genocide Watch had released a genocide warning in the in the in the Kashmir region. So it's something to definitely be worried about to keep to keep an eye on. But again, you know, what I've been discussing has been mostly just human affairs, political uh, meddlings and crises, and what we should 
really be more aware of and more worried about is the state of the planet, or I should say the ecosystem, life, because that's also been a change in profound ways and ways that we cannot uh, comprehend. So we, geolo geologists have identified that we live in a new epoch, that we live in the Anthropocene. So previously, we lived in the Holocene, but now we live in the Anthropocene. And that is because our activity, our civilization, has had such a profound effect on the environment, on the ecosystem, that it's just, the rate of change is just unnatural. I mean, human beings have existed scientifically existed 200,000, 100,000 years civilization as we know it, maybe 8,000, 6,000 years. So in the, you know, the blink of Earth's history, not that long. Okay, actually, there's human civilization, eight to 6,000 years, and then there's industrialization, meaning uh, you know, coal power, steam power, uh, and that's been little less than 200 years, a little, little less than over 200 years. So, so in the span of 200 years, we have created such an environment that animals are just unable to adapt to it. We're, we're in the, they're in the midst of a sixth mass extinction. So forget all the hunting and poaching that we're doing. Just our activity alone and the effects that, um, the, the way it's altered the environment is the animals are unable to adapt to it. Uh, it's projected that if human beings just disappear right now, it would take at least 50 million years for life to really recover from it, uh, that for biodiversity to really recover from it. Because human beings have killed a lot of creatures <laughs> and we've driven to extinction countless animal species that, that we know of. I mean, the unknown numbers are probably in the thousands, maybe millions. Um, but now it's it's really spiraling out of control. So imagine if a plane lost both its engines and it was just falling out of the sky and then in the middle of that it just bursts into flames. Or you know, it, it's just it it was already bad and now it's getting worse. <laughs> it, it's just I, again I don't mean to say this to scare anybody. But that's this is what's happening. Uh, a major reason that it's happening is because the insect populations are declining. Uh, it's just rapidly, rapidly declining, it's just spiraling out of control, uh, mainly to do with pesticides for whatever reason, this administration, and not just this administration, uh, governments around the world have just relaxed on regulations with pesticides and chemicals that are linked with killing creatures and carcinogens, just you know, pollution in general. But again, the, the insect population is plummeting. It's just spiraling down, down, down. And insects are the building blocks of our food chain. They are vitally important. Insects are gonna feed the birds, they're gonna feed the rodents, small critters, and in those small critters, they feed foxes and eagles and owls and raccoons whatever and it yeah little little changes have big effects and if the insect population goes completely extinct which it absolutely could 
that spells the end for you know the ecosystem for the environment for really life itself because people creatures are going to starve you're going to see starving animals everywhere and it's just going to be a disaster i remember i was in the park the other day it was like a poetry class and they had asked us to our teacher she had asked us to just observe the environment you know just take in the scenery the sounds the smells the the creatures and i and i truly was trying to look for insects i was truly looking in the ground looking for insects and i could only see like maybe one or a couple ants and i remember seeing a chicken a hen and her chick and they were just digging through the dirt digging through all this uh the, the thicket of needles and leaves and they had gotten a pretty sizable you know range like they were really digging around looking for stuff and i mean maybe I, maybe i'm just seeing this you know maybe it's placebo and i'm perceiving it that way but it, it truly did look like that they were looking for something they were like what the fuck like that yeah so that's happening insect populations are decreasing we are in the midst of a mass extinction yeah part of that is also you know not just with human activity well human activity is a major major contributor um but due in part because of climate change well you know the climate changes all the time except now it's just accelerating at an unknown rate something we've never seen before this july was recorded as the hottest month ever hottest july ever you know since we've been keeping records and probably this august would also be recorded as the hottest august ever and this year is going to be recorded as the hottest year ever and it's just going to continue and continue and continue uh the last 10 hottest years have been in the last 10 years you know anybody who keep like it, it's always fascinating to me with people who who have no clue about climate change or at least in denial of it and they always complain about the heat Makes you think, huh? I mean, I certainly try not to, you know, shove it in their face all the time, but it really makes you think. The people who don't really know about climate change at all are the ones always complaining about the heat. Because <laughs> they don't, it's just, they don't understand it. Well, I mean, it's Texas, right? It's always hot, but it's hotter than usual. Yeah. So being that it's summer, We've seen record uh, glacier melt in regions such as uh, Alaska, uh, Greenland, well, in the Arctic. You know, the sea ice is melting at an un like, unbelievable rate. It, you know, billions of tons of ice has melted in days, within days, in Greenland. And there are wildfires. There are wildfires in Alaska and in Russia, Siberia. There are huge wildfires, wildfires there. Possibly in Canada as well, there were some fires. Uh, I haven't I haven't really read there, but I, I'm pretty sure they're prone to wildfires there as well. You know, the Arctic region experiences uh, prolonged periods of sunlight during the summer, so it makes sense that it's going to get more hotter there than uh, other parts in the world during the summer. So there are fires there occurring. Well, fires just everywhere, really. The world's on fire. Like it's just it's like there are fires in France, in Spain. Greek and Greece and Turkey, um, and of course there are the fires in the Amazon. Oh, there are fires also in Indonesia. But the Amazon has caught a lot of attention, uh, a lot of social media posts. People just not 
or I should say not people in distress and afraid that they are witnessing the collapse of a beautiful ecosystem that is vital for our survival. And this really is a wake up call because I've been talking a lot about collapse and about our extinction. But this fire, this Amazon fire is really waking up people to this reality. So it's just, it really is the a watershed moment. It's a moment where there's the before Amazon fires and after, because it's gonna be a wake up call. It's gonna, there's gonna be, they're saying it's gonna accelerate climate change just from the carbon release of that. And also the, the forest will reach a point where it will just die. It will just completely die without the, without the fire. It's just going to die in on itself. I mean, the, the rainforest creates its own rain. So if it's gone, it's going to turn into desert. All this, all this land that you, they wanted to create cattle farms and ranches. Well, if all the rainforest is gone and there's nothing to create rain, it's just going to turn into desert. That's what happened in the Sahara. The Sahara was once a lush rainforest and now it's a desert. Well, for whatever reason, doing the doing part the climate change. However, in the in Brazil, it's uh, man-made. So, the more we cut, the more we burn. The less tr trees that there are to create oxygen for us to create rain, and that region in the world is gonna. Yeah, I mean Brazil is already. Ah, I don't mean to say this against Brazilians, but Brazil is a bit of a shit show. Like I'm kind of glad I'm not Brazilian. I'm not gonna lie, but. I shouldn't have said that. It's just right now in Brazil, because they're they're beautiful people. It's a beautiful culture. Not not to say that, but with Jair Jair Bolsonaro, Jair Bolsonaro, he is yeah, he's just uh, he's the he's worse than Trump, I would say, because he he is somebody who is actively stripping away the rights of well i shouldn't say he's worse than trump he's just he's just trump he's a latin american trump he is stripping away these regulations that are protecting the environment the ecosystem he is stripping away the rights of the indigenous people is causing a genocide for them it's just it's it's a mess and the fact that he won but such a landslide. Like, it's not because, and here in the United States, there's the whole Russia scandal, and, you know, they hacked us, maybe. There was a disinformation campaign, you know. So there was a third party um, having some kind of effect. But in Brazil, they just overwhelmingly, or from what I understand, because he's, you know, he, he's had, he's got some popularity, you know, he, like, he won. Like there's really not that many, not from what I've read, about him um, stealing an election or having some third party, uh, you know, spread a disinformation campaign. Yeah. So with Brazil, as far as there, the Amazon rainforest could quite seriously die in on itself. Uh, climate change is going to accelerate now because of that release of carbon. Yeah.
it's uh, yeah, it's quite depressing, really. There's also the African fires. That's another. There's actually more fires in Africa right now, in Angola, in Congo, Zambia, than there are in the Amazon, and that's just nobody's really paying attention to that. Probably because the Amazon rainforest is just a, a beacon of life. You know, it's the most vital ecosystem that we have. But, it, you know, we also have these fires in Angola and Africa that are also going to release carbon, also going to destroy ecosystems, kill creatures, destroy crops, people's livelihoods. Yeah, the world's on fire. And what can you do about it? Well, what can I do about it? Nothing, really. So all that carbon that's being released, uh, as you may know, the greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide, they trap solar energy into in our atmosphere, thus creating, you know, a hotter climate. And so the more carbon dioxide that's being released, the hotter that we'll get. So again, I mentioned earlier, industrialization has been about 200 years, a little over 200 years. So imagine 200 years of exponential uh, emissions from carbon and what kind of effect that has had over time. Uh, you know, that these corporations, Exxon, they've known since like the 50s what was going to happen. The, the projections that they had for the global temperature, for the uh, parts per million in 1980, they were just shy of it. I believe it was... Um, 415 million parts per million and the the actual projections today is just exactly the same or quite possibly that they they were off and so they knew what was going to happen and they they lied because the profits are more important than whatever you know life we can have so they knew what was going to happen I mean, corporations lie all the time knowing that they're killing people. I mean, look at cigarettes. They lied on national television saying, or having doctors recommend it, you know, build strength or, you know, uh, having the marble or man, so it's a, it's a macho product. These corporations are evil. You're going to learn that a lot from my show. I hate corporations. I think they're the devil. Uh, and they, they know what they're doing, but they don't care because... I'm gonna get mine. That's the whole mentality of it. And they, they truly believe that their money's gonna save them. And it won't. But we'll just have to wait and see. So with that being said, you know, the carbon emissions and the release is creating a hotter atmosphere. And what that has done is the melting of permafrost. So if permafrost is just frozen soil. And so in that soil, in the frost, there's methane, you know, you might find the remains of some mammoths, maybe, you know, preserved, you know, whatever's been frozen down there is preserved. Some theorize that there are maybe some pathogens or viruses that are preserved in the ice. And if it thaws, they would be released and they can survive. They'll, they'll definitely be able to survive. But what we're seeing is the melting of permafrost. And you can go look up you know, melting permafrost. 
and it's it really is apocalyptic because you're you're watching you'll you'll watch the ground and then you'll watch somebody walk on it and it's just the 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 soil the ground is just rippling because it's so it's been soaked with water now or it's been soaked with liquid all that all that frozen liquid has just melted away or you might see a crater just collapsing in on itself because the permafrost is melting and that's releasing all kinds of gases and it's also releasing releasing methane the release of methane is going to be worse than carbon dioxide that traps more energy and more heat not to mention the release of methane from permafrost there's also the methane release from cattle because we're our, we are a society who is obsessed with red meat uh, specifically you know brazil the reason they're having those fires is because they're clearing land for cattle ranches they're the main exporter of cat of beef in the world um and so they're really you know those cows they fart a lot <laughs> they eat a lot of grass and they fart a lot and that's a lot of methane now of course we could change their diet we could give them you know seaweed or some other type of um, crop that will you know reduce the emissions of methane but they don't want to do that because that's work and money and no 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 we don't well why why do something to help the planet when we can get some more money yeah i'm trying to cut down on my meat intake i haven't gone full vegetarian yet i still like chicken you know i understand the ethical um points being made but you know a steak here and there is good i like it but i, I i'm trying to shift my view uh views away from craving those so we have the release of carbon release of methane it's creating creating record-breaking heat uh so now we're in a feedback loop so it's exponential so this feedback loop is uh, it's just going to keep continue i don't want to say that it's too late but with feedback loops it's pretty much a given that there's no no coming back there's just no point this is just the point of no return so our, our challenge now isn't necessarily preventing it it's just adapting to it you know you can't prevent this so we can at least try to survive it you know adapt or die uh, but another issue that hasn't necessarily been highlighted as much, you know, because the heat is one thing. The heat's bad. The heat's one thing. But there's another issue that, that has kind of um, hasn't been touched up on, and it's the acidification of the oceans. So the release of carbon dioxide is causing the oceans to acidify. It's changing the concentration. Uh, it's it, and we know that this has happened before. We know what what what's going to happen if the oceans acidi continue to acidify. Um, some millions of years ago, the, the Permian Great Mass Extinction, the oceans solidified, or sorry, acidified because of increased volcanic activity, because of, yeah, because of volcanic activity, the oceans acidified and upwards of 90%
a sea life died. So everything that you see in the ocean, uh, one way or another, or all life essentially today is a direct descendant of what survived that Permian mass extinction, including us. And it's directly what caused you know, the, uh, the ascendance of the dinosaurs. But again, they call it the great dying. Now it was the worst mass extinction ever. And it occurred because the oceans acidified. So we're seeing that today. The oceans are acidifying. We know this. Um, and it could have untold effects. So basically the, the shells of creatures, crustaceans, that will be affected. Uh, you know, already the oceans are warming. So uh, populations of fish and krill and shrimp are starting to dwindle. So we're starting to see whales being beached now and hundreds of whales being beached across the world and nobody really nobody knows what's happening but it's because their food supply is dying because it's a you know to two double whammy warming oceans and acidifying oceans yeah they're not going to have any food left they're all dying so it's only a matter of time and the majority of our food supply does come from the ocean so if that happens if we lose the ocean life, that's it. That's it. Uh, the food supply really isn't going to recover from that unless we can artificially sustain ourselves. And we probably can. We, we, we most definitely can sustain ourselves artificially, uh, but it won't be the same. It's going to be like Blade Runner 2049. For those who've seen it, they have, a, they have protein farms, they call it. But really what it is, is a bug farm. They have these vats and it, it fills, they're filled with a these bugs and that's their main source of protein because the ecosystem collapsed like i truly believe 2049 blade runner is like the closest we'll, we're going to see to our future uh but yeah so i believe i've spoken mostly on the issues that i want to talk about again with this show as the programs continue uh, i'll try to be as consistent as i can maybe do this weekly bi-weekly once a month, I can't really guarantee anything right now. Uh, and I just, you know, the, the whole point of this program, right, is to bring context to global issues and to bring context to disasters that are looming and the consequences. And I, I want to be somebody who, I, I don't like scaring people. So I don't want anybody who's listening to listening to this to be afraid. I want somebody who's listening to this to understand what's happening and to do something about it, whatever it is. I, I post a lot on social media, but the reason I'm starting this program is because social media is only good for whatever, whatever circle of friends you have. This, this is truly the first step into something. I mean, I don't, I don't know where this could be. I really don't know. Um, but I feel like I have to do something about it. And this is the best way that I can, uh, talking about particular issues, you know, and hopefully trying to, you know, easing the, the pains of some people. Um, spiritually, I'm somebody, I'm an atheist, or religiously, I'm an atheist, whatever you want to call it. So I'm not somebody who, uh, I'm somebody who looks at the world objectively, who tries to understand the universe in its most natural terms. 
So I'm totally comfortable with the chaos because that's something that I, I'm observing. It's just chaos everywhere. So I'm totally okay with that. Um, but yeah, this show, I want it to be a journey for everybody. I want it to at least you know, start some community, some, start some dialogue. Uh, I want people to just not, not, I don't want people to live in fear. And I know, and I know it's hard because what's coming is going to be essentially the extinction of life itself. I'm not saying that's a guarantee, but if we keep heading in this traje trajectory, that's what's going to happen. So we're still in the stage where we can do something about it, but we're not changing. We're not evolving. And uh, it really is distressing. It's quite something, it's not something that I thought, well, it, it's a strange thing. So I'm in a generation where we have consumed apocalyptic media, entertainment, and, uh, you know, it, it's fiction. So of course, when you're watching it, you're thinking, wow, that's crazy. What if that actually happened? And now it's happening. Now, now we're living in the prologue of apocalyptic films. It's just, you know, it's just which apocalyptic film are we going to be in? So it's not like Dawn of the Dead, it's, you know, not like Day After Tomorrow, or, or at least not as extreme. But it's, it makes you think. I try not to think too much on the future, but when I do, I see like, I see Venus. <laughs> like that's, that to me is the worst case scenario, Venus. So that could happen to Earth. It seriously could. But right now, let's not worry about that. Let's just worry about living. Let's try to respect one another. And let's try to act. So I live in the United States. So there is a election coming up, 2020, you know, you know, the eyes of the world are upon us because we just put in this clown of a president, this Russian asset, useful idiot. And this really is going to be 2020. I mean, they say hindsight is 2020, but this really is make it or break it. This really is, okay, are we... Are we going to do something about this or are we just going to lay back and let the world burn on itself? I know I've canvassed for several candidates for several campaigns and there's just a general sense of apathy because people know now that the system doesn't care about them. That it's not, this is not a system for the people. We live in a, we live in a banana Republic. Uh, speaking as somebody who's, family immigrated from a banana republic, I can quite literally see the parallels. And it's not even that hard to see anymore. It's quite obvious. Like what the 2016 election, what that did was just confirm to everybody the worst fears, the worst assumptions about this country, that the people don't have own any power, it's corporations. And the corporations, they, they want a guy like Trump because at the very least, he's not somebody who's going to cause too much trouble for them. Because they're all in the country club gang or 
you know, whatever. So Trump, you know, he talks his big game about populace and draining the swamp and but he's he's just a crony. He's just saying what he needs to say to get the vote. So 2020 is gonna come up and I'm Bernie all the way. I'm left wing. I'm sympathetic towards socialism. Not a communist, but sympathetic towards socialism. And in some way or another, I do want revolution, but I'm not somebody who's gonna say we have to guillotine the elites. That's not, that's a step too far. There's revolution, there's other means of revolution, but again, I, I could never facilitate that because I don't know how to lead anybody. But I do, it's something that has to happen if we don't get our act together because the United States, what happens here is gonna change the world. I mean, that's just been the case throughout history. I'm not somebody who believes in American exceptionalism, but there is something different about this country. And that's because we are a nation that is bound by a creed. You know, those that want to say that the United States is an Anglo nation, they're just wrong. They are wrong. This is not, they don't want to, Here, here's the thing about these nationalists when they talk about creating an ethno state, the only means you can create an ethno state is through genocide or at least through mass deportation, a combination of both. That's the only way you can have an ethno state. And this idea that white people should only have this country, and I don't want this, I don't want anybody to perceive my perceive me as anti-white. I'm not saying that because the whole idea of whiteness in America, it's just a construct. It's just meant to divide people really. Um, but this idea that the United States has to be an ethno state that it belongs to a particular group of people. I mean, uh, you know, speaking on Charlottesville, going back to it, there was, they're chanting blood and soil, you know, they're continuously citing their defending their heritage and their people. Like, you know, these aren't it. These guys are losers for the most part, but since they're getting together and beating other people apart, uh, they're a threat now. I mean, most terrorists are losers. Like, think think about ISIS, okay? So ISIS, they had a program where you would join and they would just give you a wife. They, that's, that's, that was part of their recruitment bonus, I guess. Hey, come join, we'll give you a, a wife. Uh, it, it was, yeah, it like, and that, when you have men, young men, who don't have any sense of direction. They felt like they've been cheated. They're gonna, I mean, I, I, I and I'm speaking as somebody uh, with experience in this area who feel like they've been cheated, who they're not necessarily the most confident or have the highest self-esteem, not the best with women. So, you know, an insult, if we wanna call it. And, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna you know withdraw into these communities on the internet that give them a sense of acceptance. It doesn't matter what what uh, they're saying, you know, they accept me. So that I mean, so in the UK, of course, we have young men being radicalized by jihadists online, and then they went to Syria, 
because they were told by these recruiters, hey, you know, fight for the, the state, the, the caliphate, become a soldier, you'll get a wife, a pension, a job, like just everything. Like, of course, when you're when you're a loser and you're spending your days on the Internet, you hate the country that you live in, you hate the people around you. And then this guy tells you, hey, join this fight. And I will give you everything that you have ever desired. Just just join us. Everything that you've ever desired, join us and you will be accepted as a brother. Yeah, for sure. They're going to join in. So that's the same mentality here. We have guys on the internet who don't have the highest, best self-esteem, best uh, confidence, who see themselves superior, uh, superior to women, or they 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 don't have the best relationship with women, so they definitely hate them in some way, and yeah, they just they they've they've. They don't have a sense of community apart from these forums where you know anti-Semitic or you know the white nationalist propaganda is just frequently, frequently being posted. I, I would say that if I was white, and because I've definitely struggled with my self-esteem, I've definitely struggled with confidence, struggled with women, so. If I were white and I had all those things and because I, I definitely, you know, withdraw myself to the internet as well. And I definitely frequent these communities. So it it's not a certainty, but if I were white and all those conditions were in place and I had just withdrawn myself into these communities, yes, I would, there'd be a high likely chance that I would have been sucked into this community because you know, it, there's just a sense of camaraderie, and that's what that's what people want. They thrive on that community acceptance. So it doesn't matter if these guys are talking about Jews and blacks and women. They accept me. Okay, cool. Because nobody else wants me around, but these guys do. So clearly they're cool. Yeah. Yeah. So. Again, I'm just kind of rambling on here because I have a lot that I don't want to say. Uh, I do have a limited time or I just have to figure out when I'll have to wrap this up. But I want to leave off on some words, some words of not wisdom. I'm not wise in any any stretch of the, the, the word, but I, I just want to say some things because there, there are people in my life that, that look at me as though... I have something important to say and I do I do believe that I do but I don't want to sound arrogant and say you must listen to me this is purely just a suggestion you know it's just purely start a conversation but you know we, we are staring at extinction we are staring at collapse and I say this with absolute certainty if we don't change our fashion we don't change our way of life, our economy, if we don't change everything, then yes, it's extinction. Um, it's kind of hard for me to tell that to people in person, but I can definitely say it on the recording.
we're just like any other creature on this planet. But we definitely are special. I'm not saying that. I love being human. I love being human. Uh, but humanity is... It's a mess. It always has been a mess, though. So it wasn't like we were pure and innocent at one point, and then we got uh, corrupted. No, no, no. But just like any other primate, if we're, you know, civility, modesty, humility, those are learned traits. And that doesn't come to people naturally. Um, you know, I, I've been to areas, you know, third world countries. So this, these are areas that have no influence. There's no modern technology whatsoever. So you're, you're just watching people as they have been the closest you'll get to prehistoric uh, conditions, really. And for the most part, there are people who are disciplined and they are, uh, you know, well-meaning. They are good people. So I'm not saying that everybody's like that there. But that's because they've had that community around them. They've had good role models. And, you know, maybe they've had a good education. Not to say intelligence equals education, but, uh, you know, you don't need public school to know things in this world because i assure you some guy in the middle of the dominican republic cutting cane has experienced and learned far more useful things than anybody here uh, in huntsville i mean this guy can live off the land so yeah you know he probably won't really know much about you know, how to use a calculator but he'll definitely know how to live off the land that's a that's a education that's valuable in its own right but what i mean to say is that i'm fascinated by human nature because we are we're so good to each other we're so nice we, we really do want to help each other out and yet at the same time by helping each other out we're also forced to you know throw people under the bus there's the issue of resources and the abundance of it. And we live in a nation that has just untold amounts of resources at its disposal. And yet we spend it on trivial uh, matters such as defense, you know, nuclear weapons. I mean, we spend trillions and billions of dollars on you know, the military alone. And they don't want the money either. They, they're just, they're just being. Well, I shouldn't say they don't want it. There was just a case where uh, they had built a surplus of tanks, and the the military didn't want it. They just stopped. Like they didn't want it. But again, this military-industrial complex is the main driving force of our economy. And what that means is that we need constant war because we're constantly making weapons and we're constantly building you know, equipment and vehicles. So we got to test these toys out or we just will sell them to Saudi Arabia. Because the only thing that we make anymore is weapons and bombs and then we just sell them. Because, yeah, got to make that money, make that cheddar. Eisenhower directly called out the complex. Nobody really believed him. Yeah, any, it's always been recorded that the downfall of any civilization has been constant warfare and just untold amounts of spending and defense in the military. 
because we're not spending anything on our infrastructure, we're not spending anything on our education system, on healthcare. It's all going to war. And war doesn't return anything back. It's not like the the military, the defense spending doesn't it doesn't, you know, at least when you invest in the infrastructure, you have better roads. So that that helps the economy. At least when you invest into education, people are smarter and they are able to make better decisions and they're able to go on to, you know, get a degree and then go to work because that's what y'all keep telling them, you know, go to school, get a job, get a degree. But no, they, they, the only reason they spend it on defense and the military and the war is because the elites of this country who have their pockets in with the defense contractors and defense industry, every time we go off into war, their pockets get fatter. You know, Dick Cheney made millions off of the Iraq war. You know, it's a war criminal. Him and Bush and Tony Blair, just the whole administration, Karl Rove, all, all, all of them, Donald Rumsfeld, the whole war on terror is crime on humanity, crime on humanity. And yet we're, you know, September is going to be in a couple of days. September 11th will be in at least two weeks from now. So it's going to be at least nine, 18 years. Oh, not at least. It will be 18 years. Yeah. So I don't even want to like, you know, there's an analogy I wanted to make, but no. Um, and we're in Iraq. We're in Afghanistan. And that's what that's what they tell people. We're all over the world. We're in, in Africa. We're shit. We're in fucking. Yeah. It, because the war on terror, it wasn't restricted to just one area. It's war on terror everywhere. So trust me when I say that this war on terror is going to come on, come home. What's going to happen is they're going to label, I, I mean, they're already saying it, uh, Antifa, right? This left-wing group, they're already calling it a terrorist group. And when once that starts happening, once they start labeling groups in the United States as terrorists, they can, it's, it's an open, it's open game because they can start saying, Oh, well, Black Lives Matter is also a terrorist group, too. Oh, well, you know, Greenpeace or whatever. You know, it's... They could, if you can change the definition of terrorism, then, yeah, you can call anybody a terrorist. I remember seeing my cousin. He posted a comment about saying... No, it wasn't Antifa, but they were just... It was the inauguration of Donald Trump in Washington, D.C., so, of course, there were demonstrators in the Capitol, smashing windows, breaking cars, burning cars. And he started saying that these were terrorists and that he was pr practically advocating for the police to shoot them in the streets. And I didn't really say anything because I don't want to just start something with a relative. But, but the point that I'm saying is that once they start saying that, because they're already starting to strip away rights. So wait, here's what happened. So. We're, we're experiencing a fascist, a slow fascist takeover. We really are. Uh, what happens with fascism is that you don't know that it's there until it's there. Unless you're educated enough to identify the steps that build up to it. And these steps have been, 
I mean, they want people want to act like this is a recent phenomenon. This has been in set in motion since the beginning of this country. So, you know, this is just we're, we're reaching a point of critical capacity. Um, but the whole the whole point with fascism is that it just it slowly builds up, and the public typically are okay with it. So what happens is. Uh, there's a leader who comes into power. The public are, gen are in fear of something. There's uh, they're anxious, but they don't exactly know just yet what to be anxious of. And this leader comes up who's charismatic and who is able to somehow, you know, uh, identify with the people, a populace essentially. He or she comes up and starts speaking about all the different issues so what what these demagogues what these what these fascists do is that they point out very real issues about the economic disparity they point they they, they speak about very real issues that are affecting people so yeah the people come out in droves to support them because they are speaking about issues that are directly occurring to them but then the causes or you know the reasons behind those uh you know struggles that's what the fascists will bring out to distract them. So, oh, well, it's not me. You know, I'm trying to help you. But these guys, these Democrats, they're just getting in my way. They won't let me do anything about it. And it, they don't directly say to attack, although Trump has, you know, referenced a couple of times about assaulting protesters and uh, his opponents. But they don't directly call for violent action, but they create a they create tensions they they create a atmosphere at these rallies where the people are just pissed off and angry and then they go out in the street and they want to let that rage out there have been several cases of assault um you know after trump rallies or that that including you know trump supporters or i should say because you should be able to divide trump supporters between you know I like to say Joe the plumber, you know, just regular Joe the plumber who uh, doesn't really have a choice, and the neo-Nazi fascist who loves everything that he's hearing and wants to take it a step further, actually. So there, there's two groups of Trump supporters, and they all love Trump, you know, and they're they are. I have to I have to do this lightly because. I do want to, I, I don't want to dehumanize these people because they're people, they have families and they care and they love just like I do, but they're not as educated. I'm not saying that I'm educated, but they're not as educated on global issues, on the real life implications of what's happening in the world. Yeah. I just went on a tangent again about terrorism and fascism in this country, uh, which is real. I mean... You know, there's collapse talk, right, where I'm talking about the extinction of our race, but then I'm also going to talk about domestic issues and the fact that we're experiencing a fascist takeover. I mean, that's just what's happening. Uh, but again, I've been rambling on and on, and I believe um, I should wrap things up here. But again, to, to those who had who were willing to sit around and listen to me just talk and 
sound like a crazy person for half an hour and a half. I appreciate it. Again, this is the first episode, so I understand that it's not as perfect as I want it to be. Uh, as this program continues, I will do my best to make it more professional and uh, something worth your time, hopefully. Again, the, this is just going to be a journey for all of us. It will be a lot of fun, I promise. And uh, yeah, this is just the beginning. So my name is Gabriel Marrero. Thank you so much for listening to this program. Uh, I will set up an email eventually, some form of contact if people want to talk, question me. Actually, that should be a lot of fun. So yeah, next episode. Well, I don't really know what I'm going to talk about next episode. Just whatever happens. So each, it'll be a weekly or bi-weekly recap each episode, each program. But again, thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. And don't worry, everything's going to be all right.